0: Uh, this song is a setup. It's a setup if you sing this song. Because it's a it's a it's a really mature song. Alright. And if you start singing this song and mean it from your heart, watch out. Alright? Because what you're doing in this song, the prayer you're praying is inviting the Lord to come in and do some things in your mind, in your will, in your heart that you may not be able to do effectively yourself. When you, when you tell him, take my heart and hold it, take my mind, conform it, tell him to start transforming your life, then all the structures you set up yourself start falling by the wayside. And there may be some stuff in there you like. but he'll straighten it out and you'll find yourself doing things differently but you pray for it; you ask him to do that so be careful you know we we say these things and and they go well with the melody but when you're praying this as you're you're saying this it really does have an effect on your life I'm, I'm begging you to pray it I'm begging you to sing this song. I can't imagine what the church would be, how much better the world would be if all these things came true in every one of us. The world, the community, everything would be much better. Yeah, but too often, we don't want to take our hands off the wheel. We want to keep on doing everything ourselves. But in the end, all believers in Christ Jesus ought to be praying for holiness, holiness, righteousness things we ought to be asking for. I love this song. Be with me all week long. Thank you so much for leading us in there. One of the the, uh, lyrics, I think, says something about being tried and true. Uh, The first song. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy. Tried. Tried and true. We use that idiom all the time. Tried and true. It means that when something is tried and true, that means it's worked in the past and you have every expectation that as you move forward dealing with it, it will perform in the same way. That's what you say when you say something is tried and true. And so if your relationship with the Lord is tried and true, that means you've got past experiences with him and you have no doubt that as you move forward, you stay faithful that it'll also be the same response as you've had in the past. He's a tried and true God. Yeah, true, tested, proven, doesn't fail. We're going to, uh, before I I step into the sermon today, uh, two things I I should have said this when I made my remarks. Be mindful that this coming Friday, is a national holiday in this country, and it is a national holiday that deserves our recognition. It is Veterans Day, Veterans Day. Those men and women who have served in the uh, armed forces in some capacity, um, who have uh, sacrificed to uh, ensure that you and I, can move about this country as freely as we want to and do the things we want to without permission, without having to have a pass to go from one state to the next or from one city to the next. They've paid those sacrifices. Not to be construed, misconstrued with Memorial Day, which is for those members of the armed forces who have passed away. This one simply recognizes those who have served in any capacity. And, and, and I often say this to most of them don't serve without some significant support from other people who may not have technically been in the armed forces but they certainly made it easier and better for the person who was in there and so we salute them as well so be purposeful about finding someone who was a veteran and celebrate them if you will and just for our sake by a show of hands if you are a veteran of the armed forces in any capacity. Can you just raise your hand, just slip your hand up in the air, please. Everyone who is a veteran, yes. Yes, let's celebrate them today, please. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for your service. Thank you for your service. And so we, we, talk, we typically in the month of November, at least for the last several years, have concentrated on the general topic of stewardship. We think uh, the month of Thanksgiving is a great, I mean, the month of, that we celebrate Thanksgiving is a great time for us to reflect on those things for which we should be, st- be thankful and reflect on our stewardship of those things that God has given to us. We've greatly tried to expand the definition of what stewardship is through the years. And too many times we we narrow it down down to time, treasure, uh, talents. But of course, you and I are mature enough to know that we have a responsibility to be good stewards of everything that God has given us. And sometimes we don't talk about all of the specifics in that space. And so this month, we're going to start a sermon series the title of it is entrusted, entrusted, okay? Because that's what he's done. He has entrusted us with certain things. Uh, he's entrusted us with uh, things that uh, were given to us from one generation to the next. Yeah, the as, the as the graphic depicts, the baton has been tossed, has been given to us, and it's now our responsibility to carry the next leg of the journey. And so I ask you that question. That's not just true in our houses of worship. You know, we're on that watch now. It's not just true on our jobs. It's true in our families. All right. A lot of folk in the family before us paid heavy prices for us to be able to live the way we live and according to the standard that we live. I had wonderful celebrations this past couple of days with guys, with people from college that I've been with at homecoming. And of course, we sit around and the common conversation is, how are you doing? How is your family? And everybody pulls out, you know, a Rolodex of what's going on with their family, with their children. And you can just see the pride in their in their voices as they're talking. And, and, and it makes it contagious. You want to celebrate them. And then there's a, a level of me in the back of my mind that's saying they ought to be doing that. You know, your daughter ought to be a doctor. <laughs> your your son ought to be an engineer. All right. Because you set the platform up for them to step up there and just be able to pick on the, on the wheel what they want to do and go about doing that. And so there's an expectation that to whom much is given, much is required. All right. And we never should lower those expectations for comfort. That shouldn't happen. It's supposed to be hard, and it's supposed to be increasingly hard for us. We're not doing this so life can be easy for you. Nobody's setting it up for a bed of roses. And God didn't give us these positions of authority and influence for us not to make the hard choices. He expects us. He's entrusted in us the opportunity to be better. And so this month, as we talk about our responsibilities being entrusted with us, we're going to specifically talk about one area of stewardship over these next four, a few Sundays. And that's going to be the stewardship of, of uh, the stewardship, I'm sorry, of, oh Lord. We're going to talk about the stewardship of relationships, relationships the word reputation kept jumping out of my mouth the stewardship of relationships relationships are you a good steward of your relationships now be careful i'm not just talking about the ones outside your house in fact i'm going to be in your house for a little bit i'm talking about the stewardship of relationships in your families all right your your immediate family and your extended families and today specifically we're going to be talking about stewardship uh that's been entrusted to you your job as a parent. Are you being a good steward as a parent? I can't imagine that some of this would be comfortable for everybody. But it's okay if it is. If you if you if you've done everything you need to do as a good parent, that's fine. That's fine. I think it's always a test as to how effective we've been as parents. Um but today we're going to talk about a particular parent who had not so much success. Not, no, didn't have any success raising his children. Okay, we're going to be in First Samuel, chapter 2. And we're going to be talking about a preacher, a preacher who raised bad children. All right. In fact, the name—if we got—we got to put title on the sermon. It's going to be Eli's Worthless Sons. Eli's Worthless Sons. Okay. We learned a whole lot during these last few years that we probably wouldn't learn had we not been forced to be in the space of being at home all the time. We learned each other a little bit better, all right? We also learned that there were some things we counted as important that aren't so much important as we thought, okay? We put a lot of stock in that stuff and then suddenly we didn't have it anymore and then we realized that it probably wasn't as important as I thought it was and all the time I was putting into it, I maybe could have used that time a little bit different. And so when we start looking at what God has entrusted with us, we want to make sure we're spending the right time and our abilities in that space. I don't think that anybody in here will disagree with me when I say God hasn't entrusted you with any greater responsibility than being a parent if you are one. It's your greatest responsibility to make sure that generation next... Gets its fairest shot. Gets its greatest opportunity. But never does that come without rules and regulation. And responsibility. The story we're going to study today talks about some young men who were privileged. They were born literally in the lap of luxury. They had everything you could ever imagine in life. They wanted for nothing. And yet they were morally depraved. All right. Even though their daddy was the biggest preacher in town. They didn't have what they needed. Now, why are you going to stand here Sunday morning and talk about preachers and their children, Reverend Spa, Because if we can't get it straight in this house then we're going to have trouble getting it straight in other houses as well. We have every opportunity to do well. We have the guidebook. We have the greatest guider in creation. And yet I came to tell you today, not to make you feel bad, but just as instruction, that there are still times when it doesn't go right. We still have opportunities. And perhaps today I can give you some formula for educating your children or your grandchildren on how they may avoid making some of the same mistakes that Eli made. All right. The background of our message today is really the first four chapters of 1 Samuel. First four chapters. We're learning there about Eli. And we're introduced to his sons, Hopney and Phineas were their names. All right. Hopney. And Phineas. I put a graphic up in the, uh about what relationships are. So you understand what we're talking about. Because relationships sometimes get a little skewed. You have a relationship in all the places that God has entrusted you to be. Not just your family, at work. At work, like it or not, you have a responsibility to be good stewards of those relationships at work. Yeah, in your community, you have a responsibility to be uh have good relations or as the best relations you can with your neighbors. All right. Your extended family, not just your immediate family, but your extended family. You have a responsibility. And look, let me go ahead and put this to let me put this out there too. Not just your blood relation, your in-laws too. All right. Because at some point the line that says in-laws is supposed to go away. We're supposed to just be family. And yet, we sometimes use in-laws as a barrier to closeness. All right, It gives us a wall to hide behind to be able to throw a brick when somebody does something we don't like. And I'm telling you, you know, if somebody's been your in-law for 40 years, I don't know what you're still waiting on to integrate them into your family about what's going on. I don't don't know when when is it going to be okay for them just to be your sister or brother-in-law or whatever, okay? And so relationships matter. Relationships matter. And the level of relationship does not pose a barrier to you having a responsibility to making sure you have the best relationship you can with everybody. The the period, the the specific part of the scripture that I want us to lean on is in chapter 2. Chapter 2. Okay? I'm going to read some verses to you starting around verse 11. 12. 12. All right? In my Bible, which is is a study Bible, (laughs) the heading for this section is pretty graphic. It's called The Sins of of Eli's sons, the sins of Eli's son. And it reads, um, now the sons of Eli were sons of Bilal. They knew not the Lord. Hold up. All right, This ain't going right. We, we're talking about the, the chief priest's son. <laughs> the chief priest's son, the one living in and around the parsonage Okay? They were sons of Bilal, and they knew not the Lord. Another way of saying that is our heading: they were worthless men. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant came while the flesh was in seething with a fresh hook of three teeth in his hand. And he struck it into the pan or kettle. Or cauldron or pot, all that the flesh hook brought up, the priest took for himself, so they did that in Shiloh until all the Israelites that came thither also before they burnt the fat, the priest's servant came and said to the man that sacrificed, Give flesh to roast for the priest, for he will not have sodden flesh of thee but raw. and any man said, and if any man said unto him. Let them not fail to burn the fat presently and then take as much as thy soul desireth. Then he would answer him, Nay, but thou shalt give it to me now. And if not, I will take it by force. sound like a tie there. Wherefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord. For men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Men hated it. They bring the fatted of the calf to the priest's house while Eli was the chief priest they were required to share of their cattle with the priest this is how the priests were not given a portion you remember in the land distribution you may not know this when the 12 tribes were divided the priests were not given any specific land to raise their own cattle but were, but were provided for out of each of the tribes all right when they came in they would give a portion of what they had to the priest's house but Eli, Eli had some sons who had figured out how to get their hustle on. All right, when it came, this is why. This is why I said the men, the people hated this process because they would come with the required offering according to what the law of Moses said to give to the uh, house of Eli, and his sons would always make them break off more than they were supposed to. In other words. And and if they didn't give it voluntarily, they would take it. But that wasn't the sin that got them in trouble. It was part of it. I'm just going to go and walk this down to you so you understand that God could have straightened all that out quickly. It was the sin of abject, abject, immoral character that got Eli's household in trouble. It seems that Eli's son, Hophni and Phineas started pimping the women. Yeah, you can say that because that's what they say. Who worked around the temple. They ran a prostitution ring from around the temple with the women who stood there and they made profit from it And were not even shy about what they were doing. Now imagine this. Your daddy is the chief priest. And you the chief demon. Okay. So when this became public. That the two greatest pimps in the neighborhood were Hophni and Phineas. Eli's boys. God sent word two ways to Eli. Say, Eli, your boys are living foul. The Bible says clearly that Eli was, according to verse 22, I'm not going to read out, according to verse 22, that Eli was about 90 years old when he got word. Yeah. And he did, he heard this and he did nothing. He talked to them. Uh, Boys, uh, they say, y'all not acting right. Y'all need to straighten up your ways now. You know, it's making the family look real bad. But he is the chief priest. And he didn't do anything. They were taking advantage of every single person who came into the temple for their own personal profit. And they had a corrupt moral base, and everything they did, they were more sons of the devil, the enemy, than they ever were righteous sons of the chief priest. And because of this, because of this, they messed up the entire lineage of the family. All right? It was unspeakable. This is what the Bible refers to. It's unspeakable, the things that they were doing. Not only as Eli's son did they bring disrepute to his family name, they also defamed the house of God and made it of less respect because of how they did things. And Eli wouldn't do anything, but you know and I know that we serve a God who's just not going to tolerate this kind of behavior. And so, two times now, God is so gracious. He sent someone to run uh, to warn Eli. He sent the prophet to him, and then he sent a little boy named Samuel, who's re- we're, we're reading right. Now. He sent Samuel to warn the priest. Can you imagine the courage it would take a younger man like that to go to the 90-year-old chief priest with this kind of warning about his sons? And since he did not heed them, this is what God says. Um, In one day, this is what he told Eli. He said, In one day, I will perform against you the things that I have spoken. You will die, and thy sons will die on the same day, because your sons made themselves vile. And you, watch this now, entrust it. You restrain them not. You, your sons. I like this now because this helps us in our discussion this morning, in our sermon this morning. Your sons made themselves vile. Choice. All right. Choice. And you restrain them not. Choice. God's not dealing with folk who did not have control of situation. And this is important for you because God's not simply going to execute judgment on you because bad things happen. But once given the opportunity to know that you have transgressed, if you don't already know, and you take no action to correct those things, God will be swift and sure in his execution of judgment. Because he has given you what you need to straighten things out. And the rest of the story, the rest of the chapters deal with the destruction. Watch this now. Can you imagine how long it took Eli to build up the reputation of his family? To serve and work in such a way that he would be placed as chief priest of the house of Israel. Long before Phineas was born, long before Hophni was born, Eli was laboring and working and serving the true and living God and the house of Israel, and along come his boys who never had to hit a stick at anything or raise a finger to anything, and they in their one fell swoop take everything daddy has done and ball it up, and throw it in the trash can of nothingness because they don't care about their reputation because they have lived on flowery beds of ease. All their lives. They are hustling and living in luxury. Now, you know and I know that it didn't stop at Eli's house. Oh, yeah, we got some situations. It may not be as direct as this. We don't have to leave. Uh, we don't have to uh, uh, stay in Israel. We can come to Birmingham, and we got folk who are taking advantage of family name, family reputation, simply for their own direct benefit. They will take rep- they will take relationships mom and dad have had for years, and for the sake of a commission on a job, they will destroy reputation. They will promise something. And never come through with the Use relationships and connections because they think somebody's got some money or some resources and not care anything about damaging it. And this is a sad part. And I'm going to tell you this. This may have happened to some folk in your house and the folk don't ever come tell you. Because they respect their relationship with you enough that they won't bring it to you and tell you what your child did to them. And so you're walking around thinking, you wonder why I haven't heard from Miss such and such in a while. There's a reason. There's a reason. She had not called you or you haven't had contact with them. And your child certainly ain't going to come tell you that they took advantage of Miss such and such. That they messed up her 401k or her, her retirement or her house. Trying to make a commission off of them or get some money from them. Or promising them they were going to put a roof on the house and never did. Come on now, we can go down the list of things and ways you can be taken advantage of and forsake a peace and relationship. They haven't come and said anything to you about it. Eli's sons were worthless. But they Eli didn't have, and because they were worthless, they caused the destruction of his entire house, the ruin of the entire house. It's overwhelming. Overwhelming what they did to the name And God's favor lifted off of them and went to another, went to another. and They lost not just their reputation, y'all, they lost their lives behind this. But, you know, it's interesting the amount of things that people learn. You ask yourself, what may have happened in Eli's house that put them on this path to try to take advantage of folks? I wouldn't dare try to cast aspersions directly on Eli to say he did anything purposefully. But I wonder if as he was so busy in his upbringing, I mean, in his work in the church, if perhaps he wasn't home when he needed to be. I wonder if he spent more time in the temple than he should have, and maybe sometimes he should have been at the house. You know, sometimes we can make official business getaway and not be at the house as much because there's nothing that benefits solid upbringing in children more than spending time with them. And many of us have learned this the hard way. They've been entrusted to you for you to set an example, for you to teach them. We have people that come along and support you in that, but it never removes from being your primary job to teach them. You're their first and their best teacher. And when you find that the people who you've entrusted them to, to support you in that school system are not doing what they're supposed to, it's your job to make sure that those supporters are held accountable. We put too much weight on teachers. All right? They find themselves these days actually raising your children. They were never intended to do that. Okay, that's too much pressure. Let me tell you this. Governmental institutions will finish raising your children, but you won't get the same process from it. All right? Children know. They know when they're loved, and if it's their second-grade teacher who loves them, they love being around their second-grade teacher, and they learn from them things, but that's not her primary job. Yeah, reading, writing, arithmetic, that's what she's supposed to be teaching. Not making sure she got the right clothes on. Not making sure she's getting fed when she comes to school in the morning. All right? You're supposed to be paying attention to all of those things. Eli, clearly, there was some fly in the ointment in Eli's house when his children were growing up. But let me say this, too. That may not be the case. It may be they... That they got up and because they were so idle in their activities, they came up with something to fill the space. I want you to be aware that constructive activities have to be taught and children led to them. Don't give them so much idle time these days, which we do. We give them so much time just to figure it out. In fact, we'll say that. What do they want to do? Oh, they'll figure it out. As we tell them, they'll, they'll figure it out. Oh, they will. They'll figure it out because the space that you leave gives room for something good. Somebody help me now. And something bad to come in. And I can tell you that the bad always glitters. Yeah, the bad always, always glitters. Yeah. God judged Eli Because Eli let his guard down and did not step in. didn't matter that he was old when he had the chance to make correction. He didn't do it. So God judged him. But he judged him on his actions. This is important. Not on his children's action. Okay? This is crucial. He was judged on his ineffectiveness as a parent. Not on what his children did. Because God is fair. He doesn't do that. He judged the boys. On what they did, because they made choices, and he judged he, Eli on what he did, or shall I say, failed to do. That's how they were judged. Yeah, we we we. It's no no secret that when we get in trouble, we always point to somebody else as being the reason why we're in trouble. You know, the, the young boy that's in trouble gonna point to the police as the reason. that that, that I'm in trouble, or or, uh, they made me do it, or the judge is going to point to the parents and say, what did y'all not do? I'm here to tell you, God holds each of us. He's not blaming you for a child that makes bad choices. He's blaming you for not dealing with that once you realize those bad choices are being made. He holds each of us responsible. I'm, I'm, I'm bringing that point home for a reason. The situation may be bad, but you have to do what you can do under the circumstances all right in the end the child may still make choices that are negative but if you have done your part then god will deal with you accordingly and so how do we put some space or some some good factors in place according to the scriptures so that our children can have a better outcome than we see in this story because this is about as bad as it gets all right bible tells us and psychologists tell us that children are mostly molded and shaped when they're very young this is this is without refute that many of the things that you learn in life the fact that you learn them when you're young okay and so spending time with children in fact One study said that 80% of your working vocabulary that you use, you learned by the time you were six years old. By the time you were six years old, you'd already learned most of the vocabulary that you're going to use even as an adult. That's amazing to me. Not only that, children are inquisitive. All right. They want to know. Their minds are open. They are malleable or pliable, all right? They want to be taught when they're young. They want to be led in a certain way. Please, please do not leave them to their own devices. Give them guidance and they will follow that guidance. That does not mean you removed options from them. In your guidance, you can put options, but do not leave them to their own choices. It's also tr- uh, true when you guide them that one of the things that we learn is that uh, when we're born, there are only two congenital things that we all grow up with. Doesn't matter where we, how much money we have, what side of the community we're born on, doesn't matter what color we are, The scientists tell us, psychologists tell us there are two things that we all are born with. The first is we all have an innate fear of falling. Falling. And so somebody's got to help you with that. An innate fear of falling. All right? Child, you're born with it. You're born with it. And then the second thing is we all have a congenital, a congenial, I'm sorry, response to loud noise without noise. We all react the same way to it. Beyond that, we are a blank page. All right, so don't tell me this child was born with a bad seed or with bad. No. Proper training and direction can help any child succeed. It doesn't matter how poor you are. Come on now. I'm so tired of folk talking about poverty being the reason why people made bad choices. You can't say that in the black community, that poverty is the reason we make bad choices. You can't tell me that because we were poor as a community, and yet we still thrived, we still succeeded with what God gave us. We made the best of it. Poverty never stopped anybody from being good folks. And yet we allow people now to say it's uh, it's it's because of that that you can't succeed. If education was going to be the step up on the ladder, then all the poor kids made sure they got the best education they could and watch it start changing. Some things and now even though we still find ourselves in that space, we simply don't value education like we should or could value. We don't use it like We should. Can I tell you something? And I want to say this to all the young folk and all the parents of young folk today. Your child can be an entrepreneur. That's the favorite word. Today. They can be an entrepreneur. They can own their own business. They can be successful at it. They still need to know how to read. They still need to know math. They still need to know contract. They still need to know all these things even if they're going to work for themselves and I dare say they need to know it more if they're going to work for themselves. And So don't tell me because she likes to do hair, she doesn't need to do well in school. That's a lie. That's a lie. She needs to still know how to handle her business, because she still got to pay taxes to somebody. And if she gets big enough and, and shop does well enough, she got to have employees and people she deals with. She still needs the basic of school. And let me not say she, he still needs to be able to do that. Stop making it a situation where education is op- education is required. It's required for you to do it. Another thing about about youth and learning is that in those formative years, you have to teach your child to control two things. First, they have to learn how to control their emotions. It's your responsibility. Teach them how to control their emotions. We all experience them, even as a baby, a child. You can see it early on. Well, if you take something from them, they're going to get angry. You haven't taught them to be angry. They simply want back what you took from them, and you start seeing the reaction on them. They're angry. I mean, little, you take the bottle when they want it. Their physical reaction tells you that they don't like that. Guess what? They also learn there that if they cry, you give it back to them, and it doesn't take long for them to start teaching you when to give them the bottle and if you go too slow, they will absolutely show you that they know how to get that bottle back from you and you know we act like we act like people just started having babies and rearing them When we act like all the formula has changed for rearing a baby you know because we always say well you know the folks say you're not supposed to get a baby this no more oh okay all right the folks say you're not supposed to feed the baby this before they such and such age they just supposed to get four ounces of milk Every, however many hours. Only problem is them four ounces ain't holding that big truck you got right there. All right? If not, he ain't sleeping on them four hours and he need to go to sleep and, you know, and well, you're not supposed to use no formula or, or God forbid you put a little potluck in him now. That don't happen. I mean, I realize we've done some things that may not have been hygienic and the best thing but I can tell you this right now, all the tried and true measures, tried and true, have not failed. All we did was start reading, and we also started bringing in some cultural mores into our community that didn't fit us. Because some of the stuff we did was just how we raised bait. All right? By a show of hand, I can go in another church and preach this message, and I can say this. Y'all know how it smells when a hot cone hits your hair. Everybody here understand that smell, right? Immediately you have a memory of being in somebody's kitchen when they were getting curled up or straightened out. All right. But that doesn't play in every community. You can go to another church that does not have as much melanin in it and make that same cultural reference and they don't know what that, t- that smells like because they haven't had that experience. Well, just like it is what I have, is with our diet, it's with everything else. We just do stuff different. And doing stuff different doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means it's different. Don't throw away everything we've got just because the Catholic Church will tell you this. They say, they say if you will give me a child from birth to six years old, then you can have him the rest of your life and he'll never forget what we taught him. From birth to six years old, you bring a child into the Catholic Church. They teach him. They put all the doctrines in them from zero to six and he will never forget the teaching. That's how strong their education is in that space. And it's true. It's true. The impressions that we make in childhood, we typically will never ever forget them, all right? And so, God put a tremendous judgment on Eli and his son because Eli refused to discipline his son. And since Eli didn't do it, God did it for him, all right? The book of Proverbs, Solomon tells us so many times in so many ways that that the discipline of a child is crucial to their effective upbringing. You are entrusted with them to discipline them, all right? Do not shy away from your job To discipline them. Yes, they are not going to like everything you do. But you're entrusted with them to discipline them. Discipline them in life. If you don't do it, my Lord, the world will. The world will discipline them. All right? And scripture tells us over and over again. Psalmist says, for whom the Lord loves, he corrects. Even as the father, the son, in whom he takes delight, he corrects him. He that spared his rod hated his son. Let me tell you this. Whipping a child is not the only way to discipline a child. And in fact, it ought to be it ought to be the very last resort if you ever do it. Some folks say you ain't never supposed to do it, but I'm not, I'm not standing here saying that. All right. Some children will never respond to you whipping them. Never. You could you could break your arm. And they'll never drop a tear because it's not effective in dealing with them. But if you talk to them and you tell them how disappointed you are, they'll cry like Niagara Falls. Because that form of physical discipline doesn't work for everybody. And you would be wise, you would be smart to figure out how to deal with your child. And just because it worked for the next door neighbor doesn't mean it's going to work for you or somebody else in your family. And so what are the things you got to do in order to make sure your, your child has, I think, the best possibility of a good outcome? And you're not dealing with a scenario like these work with sons that Eli had. So the first thing you got to do is that they to, you got to recognize That there has to be a central authority or central power in your house. All right? There has to be. There must be somebody in the house who's in charge. Do not abrogate, divorce yourself from the responsibility of being in charge. Guess who's in charge in the house with the family where there are children? The parents. The parents are in charge. The parents in that house are in charge in that house. God made it that way. The authoritarian figure is the mother and the father. And they do best if they talk to one another and collaborate because soon and very soon children learn how to play one against the other. And so if mom and dad are working together, then you're only making each job harder than it's got to be. You've got to talk And collaborate with one another. Now, let me say this doesn't have to be biological mama, doesn't have to be biological daddy, doesn't have to be actual mama, could be grandmama, could be big mama, could be auntie. Whoever it is that's in the house is grown, is the authority in that house. And you gotta teach your children to respect that authority and that there are levels of authority. All right? Mama, daddy, you need to let them know that you, too, have to respond to somebody else. And I know folks say, you don't tell me what to do in my own house. Oh, somebody can. So, so, yeah, 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 yeah. Somebody can. And if you, I'm in this space now. I'm in this space now. I want you to understand that levels of, of, of respect also flow, I think, with, with age children obey their parents grown children obey their parents all right now grown children's parents need to know when to go sit down now, that's important now that's some order is important when when your children are grown and running their own house that's their house you can give them all the you can give them all the advice you want They ain't got to do none of it. Okay. But you teach your children to respect your parents when you respect your parents. All right. This is important. But also now I'm going to ride real hard on this one. Parents, grandparents, learn the power of shut up. All right. Just because your child's not doing it the way you do it, you did it, raising them, doesn't mean it's wrong. It's just different. It's just different. If they come to you and they ask you for advice, fine, give them the advice. But if they don't, shut up. And it's the hardest thing in the world to do, particularly when you see that there's something they could be doing a little bit better. But if they didn't invite you into the decision making matrix, don't invite yourself in. Because all you do is create conflict. Leave that alone. I don't care if you don't like what I'm saying on this because I know it's right. I see too many grandparents get involved in their children's lives at places they should never be in the first place. And all they do is set up conflict when they do it. We don't need that level of conflict between children. We need to be working symbiotically as best we can to raise the generation as best as best we can. If the children tell you don't do such and such for their children, don't do it. Leave it alone. Leave it alone. It's their choice to make. It might not feel good. might be dumb. may not be. But it's their choice to make. All right? There has to be an authority. There has to be an authority. The other thing you need to know about discipline in the house is there is one crucial word that everybody has to be familiar with when you're raising children. There's a crucial word. If you don't get this, you got a problem. And, and everybody, everybody say this word after me. Everybody say no. That's the word. All right. You need to learn how to use the word no in your house. All right. Children need to know that they can't have. Everything they put their mouth to. Learn how to say no. Mighty afraid. And that's N-O, all right? Not K-N-O-W, because they already K-N-O-W too much. But they don't hear N-O enough. If they don't learn no in their young life in your house, they will learn no in life. And it will rock them when they first start hearing no. Because we are now struggling with that from I'll be honest with you. It's one of the biggest things we have in HR right now. We have children who have degrees and never have heard no enough in life. Y'all know what I'm talking about because you're dealing with it. They come in with a degree wanting to be the boss. And can I tell you, a degree don't mean you know nothing. And it certainly doesn't mean you know children, but don't get mad at them now. That's how we raise them. We raise them. We're proud of them. We want them in that spot, but we got to also learn how to teach them. The other thing that goes with no, learn how to teach them uh, Teach them how to say no The second thing you got to do is teach them that they must control themselves and cannot get everything they want now. Now, why is that important? All right. They must control themselves and learn that there are limits in life, limits in life that you must obey. You must have them. We have to learn how to impose those limits on ourselves. There are plenty of things that you and I both know we can afford to buy. We even like it. We may even want it. But we have to control ourselves enough to say, I don't need this now because it creates problems for me financially, whatever. I want the baddest car in the neighborhood. But I don't want the maintenance cost that goes with it because it's going to wear me out. You know, it's easy to go buy a bin. You can go get one and then drive it up in Nick Saban when it's time to get the oil change. You're going to learn then that you should exercise a little bit more control on your pocketbook. All right, because it's easy to buy one. It's hard to maintain one. Really, and, they, and that's just a small example. The same thing goes with a house. Yeah, the day you move into a house, you're doing something to it. And it will be that way from now on. And you don't have no landlord to call. You know, your mom and daddy, you ain't calling them in then. You have to be responsible for taking care of the control. There's a time for everything. All right? In addition, impulse control is very, very important. And so these are some things that you have to teach your children. And perhaps if Eli had been more time at the house, less time at the temple, his children may have learned that they couldn't do everything they wanted to do and treat people any kind of way. So here's some things. Write these down real quick, all right? Some things that you should do or should not do, I'm sorry, all right? Don't, don't, when it comes to raising your children. Teach them no. Teach them impulse control, all right? And when you say no, don't have a long list of no's to everything. Everything can't be no in your house. Because when everything is no, your children, your children will never take you serious. Okay? You say no to everything. Everything. No, you can't have no friends over here. No, you can't go over your friend's house. I mean, just everything is no. You parents have to exercise enough control to be able to deal with the circumstances. They need to hear no, but it doesn't need to be to everything in life, all right? And then don't have an everlasting no on something. From the time they were six, you've been telling them no to the same thing. At some point, they have to grow into enough maturity to handle some things. What I found to be my greatest problem is I allow my fears to get in the space of my parenting. And the things that frighten me personally, I make them a part of, 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 you know, so if it's something I wouldn't ever do, then I want to stop them from doing it when they may not have the same problem that I have. And I tell them no, and it doesn't mean uh, the same to them as it did for me. So be careful. You have to grow through that. No everlasting, I always know. And the last thing is, um, is this. Don't criticize them all the time, please do not criticize them all the time. you will you will ruin their confidence. You will ruin their confidence if you always criticize your children. Everything they try to do you talk about it's got to be perfect. you were never perfect. You were never perfect and yet you expect them to have some level of perfection. life doesn't work that way. but can I go ahead and put this other tagline in there? Praise them. But everything they do ain't 100. Be realistic with them about the things that they do. Give them praise. Give them praise. All right? So don't, those are the don'ts. These are the do things that I want you to do. All right? And that is when you discipline the child, talk to them. Do talk to them. Don't, don't just beat them and then go on out the room. Or don't just punish them and go out the room without ever having a conversation with them. Now, I'm telling you this, but this is going to make you do things different as a parent if you have this opportunity, not just as parents, as grandchildren, too. I mean, grandparents, too. Talk Talk to the children. Talk to them. When I say talk to them, guess what? That means listen to what they have to say. If you want them to talk to you about the big issues of life, then you need to learn how to talk to them about the little issues in life. There's no way if you are mute on the the things in your house that they're going to come talk to you about the big issues when they come. They're simply, I don't care how much you think your child, your best friend, it's not going to happen. That's just a psychology that comes. I guarantee you you ain't going to know the first boy or girl they like. It's not going to happen unless you keep some level of open communication. Open with them. The other thing is to reward them more than you punish them. Reward them more than you punish them. Please. And a reward doesn't have to be money. A reward can be a hug. A reward can be your presence. How about this? Let's have game night tonight. Me and you. Just me and you. We just hanging out. I might even let you win. All right. You have no idea how valuable that time you spend with that child is. How about this? They're coming home. You say, I got a meeting tonight, but I'd rather spend the time with you. I'm calling. I'm canceling this meeting tonight. Hey, we can get together next week sometime. I'm hanging out with my favorite person tonight. Let them see that you think they're important enough to push everything else aside for them. If you have the ability to do that, yes, I'm going to say this, that includes church stuff too. OK, sometimes it's important that you spend enough time with your child, depending on how your schedule is. You need to go and take care of that us time so that they understand that they are important, always important. All right. And this is most important. And I'm out of here. Learn how to love your child. Learn how to love your child. Some people think it's automatic that just because you have a child, just because you gave birth to a child that you love them. And the truth of the matter is, if some of y'all, being real honest, some of y'all don't even like your children. You don't. You know you've raised them into some little brats. And they get on your nerves like they get on everybody else's nerves. And you start pushing them away. But learn your children. Learn how to deal with your children. I learned this early on. I knew early on what it felt like when somebody didn't like me. I knew it. I knew how they interacted with me, and they weren't always outside my family. They were folk. You know, every time I come around, they tell me, go sit down somewhere. That means you don't want me communicating with you. Children know how they feel, and they also know the ones who embrace them. They know the ones who bid them come. They know the ones who perk up when they see them. The ones who say, hey, I got some bubble gum for you over there. They know the ones who look out. For them when they come and let your child know that if there's no haven in the world, the haven of being around you is what they need. They know that no matter who else in the world does not treat them as their favorite, you do. You treat them as their favorite. There is no place like home in their heart, and they always want to get back to that space. Home ought to be a haven for them But home doesn't mean that house. It means wherever you are. Wherever you are is the haven for them. Teach them that. And I think this will help all of us not be in a place where we have, like Eli, worthless sons. Because can I tell you, when you don't take the time to straighten out those small things, life will bring you great big issues. And it's sad, y'all. I spent much of my career dealing with folks who I know have made some choices that haven't been good with respect to their children. And their children have walked down pathways that have been dark, not only created problems for themselves personally, but mom and daddy mortgaging the house, trying to hire lawyers, trying to get them out of jail, trying to get psychologists to come in and testify for them, trying to do all these things Their mom and daddy taking care of the children they had because they're not available to take care of them. They raised them now they're in prison, and grandma and granddad have got to pay, or, or not got to, are paying child support or raising with children. These issues come about and create problems. God has entrusted a responsibility to, to us. It's not easy. Eve said, God has given me a man. I don't know that we understood how serious that was when she said Because God gave her a man, a child, and God expected the same level of love that he gave to us, us to try to replicate that same thing. If you've been able to do it, my God bless you. If you're still in the middle of it, may God bless you. But follow him. Follow him. Do the things that he taught. And prayerfully, you'll have an effective outcome on the other end. I know we have the greatest example. God gave us the best example. He gave us his son that we might have access to all good things. He sacrificed his son's life for us so that we could have a good relationship with him. He didn't hold back anything from us. He gave us his best. And that's the example that he wants us to have. He wants us to give our children our best. I wonder if you know that God in relationship or if you just hear about him from preachers. I wonder if you've established your own connection to him by accepting the eternal gift of salvation by his son's death. If you've never accepted that, then today is the day. Now's the opportunity for you to accept the gift of eternal life. Now's the day for you to accept the opportunity to become a part of God's forever family. If you've never accepted that, I extend an invitation to you right now. The doors of our church have been swung wide open, not literally, spiritually. They're wide open, waiting for you to come and become a part of this household of faith. We're all a part of God's family. He loves us, and he shows us he loves us each and every day. Do you know that? Have you felt that? Today's the day. Now's the time as the choir stands and sings this song, the doors of our church are wide open. Whosoever ever will, let them come right now.